At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated, evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. talk about data collection systems and data sheets recently, maybe in the past year, you maybe have heard me talk about rubrics. And I'm, I often catch myself saying I'm obsessed with rubrics. And it sounds like such a weirdo data nerd thing to say, but I am. Now today we're talking about rubrics, but not in the way I typically talk about them. So I typically talk about rubrics for collecting student data. Today, my guest will be sharing a rubric that is actually a tool for you. And yep, there is a little digital goodie bag with this episode because you are getting this rubric. It is in the show notes. You can click the link and download for free. So my guest today is Abby Mix, and Abby is a school-based board-certified behavior analyst who works as an autism coach. And she created a rubric for creating a functional behavior assessment. And the rubric goes through exactly what you need to have within that FBA and what it should look like. I love that this rubric gives examples. It gives action steps, right? I'm always about like the action steps. What do I do? What do I need to make sure? I love a checklist. I love something that's going to really create that path and plan for me. And no matter how long you are in the field, FBAs are something we can always use a refresher on. We can always use a reminder on. And as we approach this school year, you might be feeling a little rusty in some of these skills. So I think this FBA rubric is going to be hugely helpful. Abby walks us through why she created it, why it's set up the way it is, 
and most importantly, how you can utilize it. I highly recommend you print this out, you listen to the episode, you take notes, and you put it in a spot in your classroom that it can serve as that reminder to really guide your FBA writing process. So without without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Good to be here. So before we jump in, I would love to hear a little bit about your role as a behavior analyst within schools, because I think not everyone is familiar with that, because a lot of school districts aren't you know, fortunate enough to have a BCBA that works within the school system. So could you share a little bit about what you do within the schools as a behavior analyst? Absolutely. Um, so my role is called Autism Coach. And there are a couple other individuals who are in a similar position to myself. We have a social-emotional learning coach, and we have a specially designed instructional coach. Um, So while I have the BCBA credential, I'm not employed through the school as a BCBA in the same way that a BCBA may work um, in a home-based service um, agency or a clinic, um, in that I don't have my own caseload of, of students and um, adults, you know, like behavior technicians that I'm supervising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so rather, I uh, work with the local districts, um, particularly like a team or a, a program that supports students with autism who are looking for sort of like an intensive short-term coaching process that's very hands-on, like side-by-side, working alongside of them. Uh, we start with a rubric that's Um, basically quality indicators for um, high quality programming for students with autism. And the team might pick a few indicators on that rubric and say, these are the areas we really need to improve upon or that we want to learn more in. And so we, we take a measurement of their baseline, where they're at right now, and then we create an action plan. It's basically, basically a task analysis of what do we need to do to improve upon this particular indicator. Uh, so we all sign off and we say, yep, we're going to do these things. Um, ideally, I'm there for about six weeks. However, reality is that sometimes it takes longer. Um, my main priority is that whatever the team has identified as the areas that they want to improve upon, that we get those things done. And that when I leave and I phase out, they feel that coaching has been effective, that they've learned new skills, that they have um, put some kind of better programming um, in place and that students are contacting more success. Love that. I love that you add really a behavior analytic component to consulting by defining behaviors and taking baseline and setting data. That's so great. Yeah. um, That's, I feel like I get the best of both worlds. I get to use behavior analysis with staff Um, which is where my interest in organizational behavior management comes in. But I also get to do a lot of modeling. So I'm still getting to work, you know, with kids one-on-one. I still get to be involved in, let's say, a functional behavior assessment um, process and developing a function-based behavior plan and creating data systems. Um, So it's it's a pretty nice gig. I feel like this has probably piqued a lot of people's interest because I get a lot of emails and messages from teachers saying, you know, I want to become a BCBA, but I'm not sure. And can I still work in the schools? And there are these like unicorn roles out there. You just have to find them. Absolutely. And I would add to that that any teacher um, who also has that credential would be amazing in the classroom as well. Yeah, that's true. I know that's what I always tell people too. I'm like, you you could still be a teacher and be a BCBA. You can be both and, right, and you'll yeah. be so much more effective and amazing. Um, great. So one of the tools actually that you already mentioned is what we're going to focus on today. And I'm excited because 
you know, everyone loves a goodie bag and a freebie, and you were generous enough to share this download with everyone. So the download that we're going to talk about this whole conversation is in the show notes. You can download it. Um, Abby was very generous to share it with everyone, and I think it's going to be a great resource for everyone. So we're talking today about your FBA rubric that you created to kind of a little bit of the process you were talking about to define what goals teachers have and what goals you have with your teams and really kind of walk through this whole FBA process. And I was particularly excited to talk about this because I love rubrics and I love (laughs) rubrics when, you know, it comes to taking data with our kids, but this is taking data on ourselves, which is awesome. And we need this. And so often we're just kind of thrown in there trying to figure out what next to do, but this is going to really talk you through the whole process, right? Yes. Yep. And what I love about a rubric, um, in addition to your ability to take data or measure um, your own performance, is that it's just a nice way to be really clear about expectations for a process like an FBA. Like, what is high quality? Um, And so that we don't have different ideas. Because if I'm not really clear about my expectations, and I just assume that somebody else has the same idea, um, it would be pretty silly to then find out, no, we have a different idea about what this process is supposed to be. Um, And those two different ideas don't necessarily jive together. So I like just really clear expectations. Especially even for yourself, you know, sometimes, you know, if you, if you write one FBA in the start of the year, and then you don't write another one for a few months, and you kind of forget one piece, then maybe a few months later, you model it off of that document that you missed a piece. So you kind of slowly start inching away from what it was meant to be. And it's no one's intention to do that, but you know, life happens. So it kind of reins you back in. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So can you talk about kind of the origins of, you know, why you and your team created this and really the process of why you put the different components in the way you did? Absolutely. Um, So I created these rubrics alongside of my um, colleague and friend, Shannon Shai. She is another BCBA uh, working in a school district. Um, And we were working together And our former supervisor, Renee Thalen, had been using rubrics in a couple other areas related to special education, specifically um, in the development of READS, the um, Review of Existing Evaluation Data for students who are eligible for special education services, and also in the development of PLAFs. So she had a PLAF rubric that really broke down quality indicators of a good present level of academic achievement and functional performance statement. 
And while she was working on those, we were probably about year two or three into revamping our countywide functional behavior assessment and behavior plan um, process because we didn't have one cohesive system. Um, in addition to that, there is in my experience, a bit of discrepancy between the training and prep that most school personnel get in conducting functional behavior assessment and then de the demand on the job. And I can speak to that personally. I can speak to it from several colleagues who have said they just didn't really get great training in that area. And yet, pretty much day one on the job, you're going to run into a student who is demonstrating problem behavior, and you might even run into a supervisor saying, hey, I need you to complete a functional behavior assessment. So there's a bit of a mismatch. So um, Renee had said, we need to have staff support. So we'd already been doing training, and training is great, but even a great training is really just an antecedent strategy. We need to do more to continue to support staff in the development of these skills. So she wanted a, a rubric that would be something that staff could use that again just has very clear expectations for what an FBA should include but also has that scoring component. Um, so Shannon and I we started looking at several other rubrics that are out there. Some are amazing and really comprehensive but we were also aware that the more comprehensive then the less likely it was for school staff who might not have a strong background in functional assessment, um, it, the less likely they would be to pick it up and be able to utilize it. So that's, very, that's such a good point, not to interrupt you, but yeah. like, yes, some of the tools are like 10 pages long or really wordy. And I, you, you could just see a teacher, like their eyes glaze over and they're like, I don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. Like, please don't hand this to me. So we very much created these with those individuals in mind. We were, we were trying to start and meet um, our school colleagues where they were at, but also thinking about it as a shaping process. So like, what do we want them to start with? Knowing that it's very possible that these rubrics could evolve as staff skills um, and knowledge evolve as well. True. And, and not everyone probably has like, you know, downloaded this from the show notes yet, but I want to just give a little visual here before you do. It fits on one page, which I love. And there's kind of four steps. It's defining the behavior, indirect assessment, direct assessment, and hypothesize. And then there's, you know, what we could talk a little more about that, but what the unacceptable and the promising practice looks like for each one. But it's, I like that it's simple and that it's really straightforward that in your, if you're in the middle of a busy year, you're working on your FBA, you could pull this out and be like, okay, let me double check. Do I have all of this? And I'm not feeling like overwhelmed suddenly. Right. Um, so we, we try to keep it simple. We try to think about basically the user uh, who would be working with these documents. So it is one page, but I will say um, when we use them in trainings, we and we print them out for attendees, we use like a 11, 11 by 17 size paper. Okay, it's, it's um, one big page. So that still one, counts. Still right. counts. <laughs> um, what I like to think about a really big piece of paper is that when you take it back to um, – you know, your desk and your office space, um, maybe it stands out a little bit more. Maybe it's less likely to get lost in the shuffle because True. it's a little bigger. Yeah. Um, and it is two pages in front in terms of front and back. So um, the one side is just the FBA rubric. As you described it, it's broken down into four components. Um, and then um, a zero would be in a particular component area, what would be unacceptable practice. Um, a one, a score of one would be what's emerging or progressing. And then a two would be promising practice. 
list. And on the flip side of that are examples across those. So if you're like, well, what does that exactly look like? Um, if you flip it over, then there's an example. I love the examples because I am an example person. Like I always want to be like, okay, but like, what does that quite mean? And I think, you know, that's a great tool. You know, if people maybe read something and they don't understand, it's intimidating and hard to ask for clarification, especially if you feel like you should know what to do. But I think those examples really highlight, you know, exactly what's on that first page of the main part of the rubric. Um, so actually I want to talk through some of the examples. I want to kind of just give one real quick before we talk about how to use it. So what I love, like an example here is this first step is defining the problem behavior and a zero would be an example is Luke is defiant. So that's, you know, the unacceptable example versus number two, the promising practice. The example here is, you know, before entering the math class, Luke will drop to the floor in the hallway when prompted by an adult, he will enter the classroom and immediately tear up homework papers. So I love how this really clarifies the difference in, you know, why we need a definition written the way we do versus, honestly, I see the zero a lot. I see that thrown on behavior plans like student is defiant, student is, you know, student is frustrated a lot and kind of the problematic piece with that. Um, so can you talk a little bit, even, I would love to hear, even hear you just talk through this defining the behavior, getting into why that's important. I know that's not even... Um, what we're talking about, but why is that zero example, you know, problematic in our FBAs and then our behavior plans? Right, absolutely. Um, so in my current position, we use these rubrics to guide a full day um, PD on the FBA process and then creating function-based behavior plans. And we sort of do what you're asking. We walk through each component of the rubric at a time and we'll give an example of what is promising practice. And then we spend time diving into why and what that looks like. So basically when we start with a problem behavior that has brought the team to the table at the um, you know, initiation of a functional behavior assessment, we have to start with such a clear definition of behavior that we can count it, we could time it, you know, we can some way measure it so we know how often it is occurring. And we absolutely need to know that in the beginning because once we move into the phase where we're putting a plan in place, we can't know if our plan is effective if we're not comparing it back to that baseline. So that's the first reason we need to have a very clear definition is that we need to be able to measure the behavior. The other reason we want a really clear definition is that when we move into our direct assessment and we're going in and perhaps we're taking ABC data and you may have more than one person collecting that, I want to make sure that we have such a clear definition that two people going in are going to be collecting um, ABC data on the exact type of behavior that was described initially instead of maybe collecting um, data on different types of behaviors that may serve different functions. And then we get really muddy data that's not helpful in guiding our intervention plan. So if you miss that first step, it really throws the whole thing off. Absolutely. I also think that this first step is so great. Um, you use a little bit of uh, behavior momentum, right? So I know that my nature is that when somebody comes to me with a problem behavior, I want to immediately start to help. I want to do something. I want to jump into um, perhaps uh, giving suggestions. But without a good understanding of why the behavior is occurring, my suggestions are probably going to just be uh, random acts of intervention. That's a, a Jessica Minahan term that she uses and I love. They're just random acts of intervention. Um, but because I have that desire in me to be helpful, I want to get going. Starting with the definition kind of 
slows me down, calms me down, and I can say, all right, let's talk about what that looks like. Can you describe the behavior for me? And so I do get to get started towards helping, but I'm starting in the right way. That's a great point. And I think so often, even, you know, self-contained special ed teachers hopefully our resource in their building. So if, you know, a gen ed teacher is coming to them and saying like, hey, can I troubleshoot? I've got this kid. You know, everyone starts with that. I've got this kid. And you're right. People want like an action item right then. And you can't just give one, right? You're like, can't just be like, oh, try this because we don't know. But you can say, well, let's define it because that is something we can actively do right now. And you feel like you're accomplishing something. Right. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Awesome. Okay. So you mentioned kind of doing a training with this. Can you talk a little bit how you use this tool, both at like a systems level, because I know there are a lot of behavior analysts and consultants that listen, but also how could even just a teacher use it themselves to kind of self-evaluate like on, on both sides of the, the process of using this? Sure. Um, a teacher um, as an individual, you know, could definitely look at maybe um, an FBA that they were um, recently, you know, had recently participated in and they could score their own work sort of as a self-assessment, like, where am I at? Um, or you could just use the rubric um, in a way that you had just previously described to kind of lay out and say, hey, maybe I'm doing an FBA or I'm, I'm helping in, as part of a team completing a functional behavior assessment, but I haven't done one in about four months and I'm feeling a little rusty. So when you pull out the rubric, it's really nice to just look at what is promising practice and kind of remind yourself. Um, what you don't want to do is get too far into this assessment process and miss steps. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not uh, it's not nice to go backward. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't even happen. So right at the beginning, a teacher could pull it out and sort of refresh their memory. Um, okay, this is what I need to be preparing for. And that's a great point with teams. Like sometimes it feels uncomfortable when you're a part of a, you know, a collaborative team to be the louder voice or the leader and being like, hey guys, this is what we got to do, want to do, especially if you're new or younger, that can feel mm-hmm. intimidating. And I, I like having a piece of paper, like right. something about that being like, this isn't just mine. Look, someone wrote this down. Right. <laughs> this is legitimate. And it's not just you saying something. It sort of centers everybody to, hey, we're all going to follow this rubric. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the trainings you do with your district and what that looks like? Right. So in my um, current position as an autism coach, um, earlier in the um, you know 2019-2020 school year, we definitely started to understand that there was a need for training on this topic. Um, Special education directors were requesting it. Teachers were requesting it. um, Itinerant staff were requesting it. So we knew from the feedback we were getting and we knew from the FBAs we were reviewing because a lot of times that's the number one reason that um, a local district team might call in a coach is that they're struggling with um, a student who has challenging or interfering behavior. So we knew from reviewing those that there was a need for training, Um, but we really like to be data-led. So we compiled a sample of FBAs from across the district. We made sure that we had at least one from every single district, and we scored them as a group. 
Um, anytime that we didn't score them as a group, maybe we did it in smaller groups, we would then um, bring it back and review because we wanted to make sure we were all in agreement about this particular FBA. And what we found is that uh, there was an average of uh, baseline score of 3.2 out of a total score of eight. So then we had the data that we, you know, just sort of support that anecdotal data we were getting that this was a really big need. And we felt confident that we needed to move forward. Now we're very aware that a full day PD, even if it's amazing, is just beginning to you know, dive into these topics, but it was our starting point. And we decided since we had used the rubrics to gather our baseline, that we could use them to guide our PD. So the way our professional development day is set up, we spend the morning really diving into the FBA rubric, but we take it like chunked at a time. Because even though we've gotten it down to one 11 by 17 page front and back, it's still a lot. And I know personally, if I look at a document and there's a lot of text, I sort of just feel like, oh, I don't know where to start. So we <laughs> chunk it for everybody. And we try to follow a behavior skills training model as much as possible. So we try to start with some information about, for example, define. Why do we need to define behavior? Um, we, go, we go through the rubric indicators about what's promising practice. We will model by scoring um, a, a fake definition or a sample definition rather together. And then we give teams uh, an FBA to review. So they get to then practice it themselves while we're circulating and trying to give feedback. So that's the, the model we try to um, follow then for each component of the rubric. So we'll go through that. And then we'll move on to the next one about the indirect assessments. We'll go through what those look like, why they're necessary. We'll try to model what that looks like, maybe model some interview questions, and then we'll give them a chance to actually practice. Because I think more than just looking at the rubric, we really want people to have practice scoring so that when they go back to their districts, they're just that much more fluent in using this document. Yeah, that's great. And I love that kind of process of going through each one. And, you know, anyone listening that, is in some sort of role that is required to organize trainings, like that whole process you talked about could be replicated with whatever kind of subjects you're doing. But gathering that data first and figuring out, well, what do, what do we really need training on? Let's have data inform that decision, not my opinion, well, what I think we need training on. So every administrator, that would be a great process to follow. And in addition to, you know, using that data to, to guide our professional development plans, what we really want to do, we want to jump forward like six to 12 months, and we want to start scoring for teams who have either participated in coaching or come to our PD um, or engaged in other types of like um, training opportunities because we want to see that growth. It's really, really exciting because then you know that staff are learning and doing better and then kids are doing better. And because functional behavior assessments are so important, um, it could it could potentially lead to an IEP team making a decision that is life-altering for a student. It's a pretty big deal that we're doing a really good job with the assessment. Yes. Oh my gosh. Talk a little bit more to that point because this is why this is so important because this makes or breaks the effectiveness of a behavior plan and that makes or breaks a placement of a child and success of a child, right? Absolutely. Um, I commonly say that when we don't know function, it can feel like we're paralyzed in moving forward because our number one step when we start to develop the behavior plan is 
what's that replacement behavior going to be? Well, the replacement behavior is going to serve the same function as the problem behavior, but it's going to be easier. It's going to be more efficient. Uh, it's really just going to work better for the student. So if we don't know function, almost immediately we're hitting roadblocks. Um, and then what we're likely to do is a lot of stuff that maybe worked with other students um, in different conditions in the past. And what we see happen to teams, and it's a very difficult thing to see, is that people work really, really hard. They are definitely going the extra mile, but they go the extra mile in the wrong direction. And by that time, the team is fatigued. Things are not getting better. The student is just getting more, essentially, practice at the wrong skills. Um, and so it can lead to teams coming back to that table for an IEP and having discussions about more restrictive placements. Yeah. I know that's why I always tell teachers too. I'm like, if you want, this could, things could get worse. And if that doesn't scare you into like not skipping the FBA, I don't know what will, like who wants it to get worse? And, you know, sometimes as we said, as you said earlier, you know, we want to jump ahead and jump to like the strategy and the behavior plan and what are we doing? But it's always like, simmer down. We're not going to know what to do if you don't do this process. Right. I will, I will use a lot of, um, medical analogies and say, if you were suffering from something and you went to see your doctor and your doctor said, well, we have two choices. I can just try some things with you um, that might not make it better and in fact might make it worse. <laughs> or I can spend a little bit of time trying to understand you know, what is causing you this pain and suffering so that I can give you a really prescribed treatment. It'd be a no-brainer. Yeah, Everybody that's, that's like, a great Yeah, example. I don't want to continue this. I want yes. to get better. Yes, yes, I love that. So with this whole idea of like scoring and seeing process and seeing progress, is that something you think teachers could be really doing on themselves? Um, they definitely could do it on themselves. I think a whole team could do it together. So um, some districts, um, especially if you're, let's say you're a special education teacher in a ASD program, and you might have eight kids in your program and three of them maybe have had in the past year a functional behavior assessment and you work pretty solidly with your school social worker. Maybe you have a behavior specialist or school psychologist. That team could sit down together and say, hey, we're learning more about this. Let's sort of check uh, where we're coming from. Like how well did we do in the past and what areas do we need to improve upon? What we see sometimes is that teams are amazing at creating their operational definition of behavior. And so if they know that, they don't need to focus a lot of their energies on improving that area. Maybe what they need to do is really dive into exploring indirect assessments and understanding all of the really rich information that can come from an open-ended interview. And that's, I think, actually the indirect assessments is one that I see missing so, so often that that's just totally, you know, it's just totally not completed. It would be like a zero on your rubric, just not a component yet. Right. We see a lot of um, maybe like school discipline logs or file reviews, and those are important. But what we really want to do is get to the people who know that child best and start asking questions with, with those people and not stop there. Um, but that's, that's definitely the important step two in this process. Yeah, like one piece of it. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been really helpful. And I can't, I can't wait for everyone to download this and kind of see it and be able to utilize this. So thank you again for you know, generously offering to share this because this is going to be, I think, a very valuable tool for everyone once we are eventually back in schools and writing behavior plans again. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Abby. Yes. Thanks for having me.
Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.